There's always stuff that's inside a business owner's head that you've done over and over again that you just forget to get out on paper or get documented. So yeah, what we were able to do is over the last few months, so you know, take that rough draft of stuff, start to implement it, kind of clean it up. And over this last uh, this last training session that we've done, we've you know really filled in the gaps on on what we need to do on a day-to-day basis to bring a person from, I don't know nothing about this industry to now I'm ready to go out and service your customers and, and bring some revenue in. Man, was this a good one with Jay Davies. Not only did we go in-depth on hiring a sales manager and onboarding a sales team, but he also gave us his closing strategy for selling jobs. It's an awesome strategy. I really love it. We covered it in detail towards the end of this episode. Before we jump into it, though, real quick, if you're not already a member of the Home Pro Sales and Marketing Lounge, our Facebook group, look in the show notes below where you're playing this episode. Click the link, head on over there, join the Facebook group. It's only for home service business owners and managers. Awesome group, awesome collaborative resource. And also, if you haven't already done it, leave me a review. One star, five star, good feedback, bad feedback. I want to hear your feedback on this podcast. I want to hear what you have to say. I look forward to reading it. Now let's jump into this awesome conversation with Jay Davies. Jay, welcome to the Home Pro Success Show. Thanks for having me, Corey. It's great to be here. Awesome, man. So you're an exterior contractor up around the Washington, D.C. area. Give us some more insight into the business. What exactly do you guys do? What are your services and roughly how big of a company are you guys? So for our services, we uh, kind of an exterior envelope contractor for the residential side. We call it our core four, roofing, siding, windows, gutters. Of course, doors are in that window category. That's where we'd like to stay on the outside of the house. You know, for us right now, we're about 11 employees looking to grow a few more and got a goal of 2019 to do about four and a half million in in, uh, total revenue looking to keep 8% net profit after all that. Uh, it's kind of who we are. Pretty good, pretty good. So of the of the big four, how does you, how does that break down percentage in terms of revenue or what are the top two? You know, is there one that you're really taking off with? Yeah, so for us, uh, you know, the roofing category is going to be about 70% of our revenue. I came from a roofing company as a salesman before starting this kind of building envelope. The other big one for us is going to be uh, the siding. So roofing and siding goes together. Windows, there's a lot of different companies out in our market that uh, saturate with windows. So we may not get as much traction there. So, you know, we're looking at uh, doing, you know, roofing gutters on the majority of stuff, siding jobs here, and then the windows and doors as we can market it and as we can get customers to say, yeah, that looks like something I need to do. So siding, you're talking like vinyl siding, right? Yeah. So we'll do, uh, you know, our big one is going to be insulated vinyl sidings, uh, but we also do kind of uh, fiber cements. Uh, There's a few neighborhoods in here that uh, they really like that look. But for me, I just am um, really kind of enamored with the actual energy savings that come with a good insulated vinyl product. Okay, so that's why they're doing it. I'm just kind of curious because my services are, or that's kind of incidental to my services as well. We don't do a ton with it. It's in our scope of licensing down here. We don't do a ton with it. If we, you know, if the customers call in, we'll bid the projects, but don't directly advertise those. But you guys are getting, or you're basically pushing it for energy savings. Yeah, that's where it's at here. I mean, uh, you know, we've got a lot of houses. You've got neighborhoods that were built back in, you know, the early, you know, late 40s, early 50s. And these houses, you know, they were either didn't have any wall insulation or anything they did have is settled down. And so we can make a huge difference just putting a little bit of this, uh, you know, kind of extra insulation on the outside of the house, you know, take. And it just makes a big difference. People really like yeah, I, uh, I you know, doing that. I can see that. So let's say you got roughly 11 people on staff. You said, when did you start the company? Take us back. So the company was founded on paper back in 2007. So we've got about 12 years this year as our anniversary. But uh, for me, it was a uh, decision to go kind of quit the job as a salesman and go full time with this in 2011. So, you know, ran for a little over a year as a one man operation, just figuring out how to be a business owner, you know, going from you know, an employee to a business owner is a, is a big leap. Then, you know, just decided to make the uh, decision to hire a salesman and then hire admin and hire some production guys. And, you know, just kind of uh, as we needed, we, we grew with the, uh, the staff and personnel. 
So 2011, it's a one-man band of Jay Davies there. <laughs> when did you, I mean, uh, were you guys subbing work at the time? When did you bring on employees? Yeah, so the vast majority of our production is, uh, is happening through subcontractors. I was able to develop some really good relationships with subs. And, um, you know, we can, I can always go out and find good quality guys in that arena. You know, the decision to really start growing the company and uh, came from my wife. You know, it was stressful. You know, I was, uh, you know, wearing several hats. I'd be up on a roof measuring it at the same time that I've got to take a call to get a new lead appointment set. And then I've got to take another call 10 minutes later to help someone pay their final balance. And all the while, I'm up on another prospect's house measuring for an estimate that's going at. So a lot of stress that came along with it. And the wife just kind of looked at me right around, uh, you know, 2012. If you're going to get all this stress, I want you to have more stress and make more money. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, that's what she said. She's like, listen, you either need to, you know, kind of shit or get off the pot. It's uh, either build a company or go get a job and get, get rid of the stress. And so, you know, it, uh, it was time to just really, the, for me, when it was going, I wanted to make sure that if I made a job offer and I brought someone on board, that the company was going to be stable enough and secure enough that I could take care of them. And uh, I think that was one of the biggest hesitations to really growing is, you know, do I have something that's going to be here for the long term? I knew in my heart it was, but, you know, got to make sure that you convince uh, the entire market here but that's going to be the case too. Yeah, there's a saying from somebody in the group, somebody in the group dropped the saying, and I can't remember it off the top of my head right now, having a kind of blonde moment, but it was basically like, you have to be the company that people want to work for. When you're just starting out, it is really, really difficult to be that company that people want to work for. You know, when you're, well, in my case, we were, you know, slinging pool cages out of our house, you know? (laughs) So, you know, it's really a tricky pool. Was there any kind of things you did? I mean, at what point did you get an office? I mean, because it sounds like you caught on to the concept, whether you knew it or not, that you had to be a company that people wanted to work for. You know, what did you do to start attracting your first people? Is there anything kind of any stepping stones you had to cross there? We actually didn't move out of the basement of my house uh, into an office until February of 2016. So we've got, you know, all of 11, 12, 13, 14, and 15 running out of the basement of my house. So I know what you're talking about when you have an employee show up at your house and company meetings and vendors coming over. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I was the only one that did this. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I had one of my suppliers, uh, one of my uh, supply contacts, you know, we were having a lunch and, you know, we, I was telling him I needed to hurry up and, you know, get out there and get a business and get professional and do all this stuff. Then he looked at me and he was like, you know, don't be in a hurry to get yourself a headache, grow naturally. And for me, you know, I had a, I had a house that uh, was, you know, big enough, I could turn the entire basement basically into the working area and kind of keep that separate from my living area. But there was a time when, you know, having, you know, seven, eight people, you know, in the basement room with projector for a company meeting didn't feel quite the way it should have felt. So yeah, I, I totally agree with that. All right. So you guys have, uh, you guys have came over, came grown up a long way now. You're the real deal out there. So let's kind of go into it. You got basically 11 people on staff and you're mostly subbing the work. You want to break down what, you know, most of the people are up to these days? I mean, like, do you have, do you have a dedicated salesperson, dedicated sales manager, probably a permitting and maybe engineering person or somebody at least that coordinates the two of those? Yeah. So for us right now, we've, we got, you know, an admin that's uh, that's running up front, basically kind of the gatekeeper taking care of HR and payroll and things of that nature. Then in the production department, I've got, you know, a production manager is kind of overseeing everything. Also, he's doing a federal and commercial, you know, contract acquisition. Then I've got a production, you know, schedule coordinator just making sure that all the details from, you know, material orders being delivered on time and suppliers doing what they've got to do and notifying customers. He's kind of in charge of that aspect. Then we've got a couple of guys that do running and some warranty work. And then when we get into sales, it's a production or a sales manager for full-time sales staff. And we're looking to grow that to six this year. We just, uh, you know, hired our, our sales manager. I was the guy, hired this guy back in November, early December. And we've really spent the last uh, few months developing 
a full onboarding plan to make sure that we are able to, to hire a new salesperson and bring them up to speed as quick as possible so we can get them out in the field taking care of customers making money. Right on, right on. That's what it's all about there. We'll come back to the sales manager in a moment. I want to talk about that because you just brought that on. So you've got the experience of onboarding a new sales manager and having a manager of any expertise or anything really is difficult to do. But you just want to go back to your operations. You said you have a couple punch list guys. Is that what I'm hearing? Basically? Yes. Yeah. So a couple of my guys that their main task is to make sure that when we have a service or a warranty call that uh, comes in, we can get out there right away. You know, even if subcontractor did the work, we're going to get our guy with eyes on to find out, you know, number one, is it our issue that we need to take care of? And number two, if it's our issue, let's get it done as fast as possible. Because I mean, you know, as well as I do, an angry customer is going to go out online and they're going to shout to the world how terrible everything is. It's going to cost you money and, and, you know, potential future revenue. And, you know, obviously I just want to be a good guy and do the right thing by my customers. So we do, you know, two birds and one stone. I feel good when I'm done at the end of the day. And, you know, we've got that great reputation that stays online, which uh, everyone on my team wins because of it. Yeah, I agree with you, you know, on that, that you kind of really need that punch list crew. I know a lot of people out there subcontract and then they try to make the subcontractors go back. The subcontractor doesn't want to go back for whatever the issue is. You know, the best thing you can do for your business and your customers is just have your own punch list guy or warranty and service guys in house, you know, and eat the little bit of cost that you're going to get from sending them out there on the subcontractors. I'd guess that you're, you're probably in the same boat on that. Yeah, we are, but I've got great relationships with my subs. And so I know I want them out producing new work. I want them out kind of, you know, handling the big stuff. And so we, you know, kind of come to an agreement that, you know, if something happens, we get out to a job site and it's because of what they did or didn't do is causing the issue. We'll get it taken care of, then we'll back charge them out of the next job that's coming down the line. So yeah, in my experience, that's the quickest and easiest way to handle it. Quickest, easiest, and makes everyone the happiest. I know some operations out there, you know, and you can see these operations that do this because of their Google reviews. They try to get their subcontractors to go back there a week, two weeks later. And, you know, they're, in, they're really in the business of just getting kind of the nuts and bolts of the projects. They're, they're going to delay those service calls and stuff. And then when they go back, it's often not the best for customer experience. So I really think if you're listening and you're out there subcontracting work, get a punchless guy on staff handle your, you know, your complaints, your callbacks, your little warranty issues, your, you know, your sub didn't sweep up my backyard or my, not my backyard, but my patio. You know, they didn't pull all the tape off the ceiling when they repainted all that little stuff, man, get someone in house, have that stuff done real quick, wrapped up. And, you know, based on your agreements and relationships with the subs back charge them if applicable. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and then yeah, if you've got uh, any wherewithal, just teach that, uh, that service tech to sell and you can send them out on, you know, small service and repair jobs. And when he's not out there cleaning up, you know, trash, he's making new revenue for you. So, so it's a win-win situation. Yeah, all the opportunity way for cross. So we'll come back, back to that. Let's jump over to the sales manager. Why did you need to bring a sales manager on board or not, not so much why we all know why you need to bring a sales manager on board, but at what point did you say, this is the time for bringing a sales manager on board? Okay. So this, uh, this most recent iteration isn't the first attempt at doing this. So uh, the first sales manager I, I hired and brought on board was back in 2016 and it was just, uh, it was all about the idea of I'm not going to get to that 10, $12 million revenue goal that I've got set for myself all by myself. It just isn't happening. And if I were the guy that's consistently, you know, searching for talent, hiring the talent, training the talent and overseeing the talent, I've got no time to do the other aspects of business ownership, which is going to grow us that, that fact. So that was really the mindset of it is to bring someone on to force multiply myself. Now I've been through uh, for two different, you know, two different guys before the current one. They come on board and it was a matter of, you know, almost a hands off, you know, you, you bring your, your ideas and your, you know, motivation to my company. Now I'm just going to let you go run and see what happens. And it was a learning curve for myself knowing that, you know, if 
my ideas aren't fully kind of laid out, they're not quite going to marry up with me and it's just not going to work. So, so, you know, hire a guy, fire a guy, hire a guy, fire a guy. And then my last one, this gentleman I've got on the staff now, it was a long process of really kind of trying to find the right guy. And I recruited this guy from two hours outside of our market. You know, we, uh, we had him and his wife come up, meet with my wife, uh, myself, my, you know, vice president of operations, had a good dinner, some drinks and really discussed, is this the right opportunity? And, you know, are you willing to relocate from two hours away to come here and help me grow this idea? So what was the difference? Because you've kind of gone down this road twice before, ran into a dead end. What did you do differently this time that's, uh, you know, making it work out? Yeah. So for me, it was a, uh, obviously a learning, you know, from my past mistakes and understanding what I needed to have in place and then really setting expectations from the get go and, you know, just following up and making sure that, you know, listen, you know, here's my expectations. Here's how I see it going out. How do you marry up with that? And do I believe you when you say you can do it? And are you willing to take a chance and then put some skin in the game to come on board here? So there was a lot of back and forth and a good courting period before we actually, you know, move forward with this new gentleman. And from that point there, what we've done is I've created, uh, you know, if I were doing the job that he was doing, I now have that fully on paper, fully documented, you know, step by steps of what I would do. That way, you know, I just, I've got the way I want it done being performed by someone who's capable now. Gotcha. I see. So did you create these documents after you hired him or before? It seems like from what I gather there, it sounds like you were kind of creating them as you were going through the process with him. Yeah. So there was kind of the rough draft outline that was there. And, you know, there's always stuff that's inside a business owner's head that you've done over and over again that you just forget to get out on paper or get documented. So yeah, what we were able to do is over the last few months, so, you know, take that rough draft of stuff, start to implement it, kind of clean it up. And over this last training session that we've done, we've, you know, really filled in the gaps on on what we need to do on a day-to-day basis to uh, to bring a person from, I don't nothing about this industry to now I'm ready to go out and service your customers and, and bring some revenue in. So what does your expectations look like for the sales manager? Because a lot of people hire managers and I'm guilty of doing this and you hire them, but they basically just become well, a salesperson or kind of a general person in that area. And they've got this title that's manager and you basically just kind of, you know, anything, any of the big tasks that come in, you just tell them to handle it. And that doesn't really go so well, or you just kind of, you know, you send your complaints to them and, but there's no real expectation. You get what I'm saying? I totally get what you're saying, Corey. Yeah. I don't know if I'm using the right words for it, but there's always kind of this thing where managers just ultimately end up doing no managing, but they're just kind of like the whipping boy for that position. Yeah. So for us, you know, obviously coming from having, you know, done this, uh, you know, hired and fired a few people before this one, really sitting down and having a 30, 60 and 90 day kind of outline of what I wanted for this gentleman to come on board, you know, and it starts out with, you know, the, the first three or four days, the only thing I want you to do is interview everyone on staff, and get to know them. Then after that, I want you to, you know, kind of get familiar with what we're doing you know, talk to our customers. And then by, you know, a certain time frame, you need to have, you know, two people hired in, in training. And then from there, there's, you know, a weekly, you know, kind of they, he's got to bring to me the weekly stats and the weekly numbers. And if they're not on par for our goals and what we're doing, then, you know, I'm holding him accountable for making sure our guys are doing what they're doing as far as our closing percentages and gross revenue and their follow-up. So it's really just a matter of, 
you know, while I'm not doing the job myself, my job is now to kind of hold him accountable, to hold his team accountable. Gotcha. Can you take us through kind of what a day looks like for him? Do you have a, you know, like here's like, do you have like a daily task list of things that need to be met weekly? So varies from day to day right now, since, uh, you know, we're coming up to the end of our first three week, week run of training new sales guys that we brought on, you know, and so during the, uh, the training session, you know, it's going to start out with uh, in the morning, you know, for an hour and a half, having phone conversations with existing sales staff, following up on their needs and making sure that they're set for the day. After that, he'd go into, you know, five, six hours of full training with the, uh, the new folks. At the end of the day, then it's a matter of, you know, making sure that the sales staff that's already out in the field, did you accomplish the things we talked about this morning? And then he gives me a quick rundown on the day, and then he's off for the next one. Outside of that, he's going to fill up, he, this, I've got a great guy. And so he fill up his ideas with, you know, how do we, uh, how do we help with the marketing and how do we get our guys to be a little bit more productive in this area? And, you know, he's just really an idea person and it's more than just ideas with no action. He's the kind of guy I can give the football to and he's going to move it down the field. You know, he may not get a first down every time, but he's getting yardage and I love that. So what's your secret? How did you find this guy? It was actually a recommendation. I hired a salesperson, you know, a while back, got him trained up. He's been with me for about a year and a half now. And he said, listen, I know a guy, you know, he's down here a couple hours away. He's a great salesman himself. He, I knew him as a sales manager. Let's, you know, have a conversation. So my first conversations with my now sales manager, Justin, were, hey, would you be interested in doing some sales for me in your market? You know, if I can get the production done, would you be willing to go do some sales and extra stuff? We had a good conversation about that. And then I learned more about his management background, his coaching background, as far as, you know, uh, college volleyball and things of that nature. And so the more I put things together, it just sounded like this guy has a drive and a passion and he's got the smarts enough to be a part of my team. And, you know, outside of the smarts and the drive, he's got a personality that meshes well with our culture and it just kind of meshed and worked well. I like it. I like it. It's so often, well, I don't want to say so often, but most of our best hires have just came from, in some way, a connection or referral. Everyone's always looking for the magic door to awesome new employees and where to advertise. And I will say Indeed.com has been pretty good for finding us, some people, but mostly everybody on our team has came through somebody else on our team at this point. And, uh, you know, we're fortunate enough that we've got some great tenacity amongst our team at this point. And, you know, I, I know rewinding the clock back to 2012, 2013, 2014, the first few years in business, I didn't even know if we'd ever get to this point, but we're there. And, the, you know, the only secret that I've got to finding employees is just kind of look through your own network as cliche as that sounds. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I get that. We've got three of the people that are on my staff that, uh, that are my real champions that they came by way of, you know, networking and, re and referral stuff. Another champion came from monster.com, you know, back uh, in 2012, 2013. Yeah, I haven't heard of monster.com in a while. What happened to that thing? Just it's expensive. It was an expensive platform. Yeah. I, I remember that they used to be all over like the radio or the TV. They had a little jingle monster.com. And I, I mean, I totally forgotten about it now, but I guess, yeah. Have you seen it? Do you guys still use it? No. I mean, with, uh, with Indeed or ZipRecruiter and, you know, I mean, heck, even on Facebook jobs, we're able to, you know, to get a, a much better response than, we were with Monster. It was just a really expensive platform. We'd be, you know, seven hundred to fourteen hundred dollars for placement of a job posting. Whereas now I can go out and get that done for a, a fraction of the cost. And referral stuff is just, you know, hey, my time, a phone call, and do you know somebody? So, yeah, I think that was the big, uh, the big key for me is just that that cost and trying to keep our overhead as low as possible. All right. So you got a sales manager. You've got the training documents here. Let's go through it, man. Let's talk about it. You're building a sales team here. You're on a mission to get up over 10 million record or not record, but trying to hit the eight figures. It's a lofty goal. 
certainly achievable. You know, from what you've done, I think you can certainly do it. What do you got in line for the sales team, man? Like, let's talk about that. We talked about how you're finding them a little bit. You sounded like Indeed, ZipRecruiter, and also referrals. How do you know when somebody is right to bring on? How are you making this hiring decision? Let's start there. So it's kind of a no BS attitude for me. One of the things that I found is that I've had a lot of success in bringing people who are outside of my industry in and teaching them everything I need them to know instead of trying to find, you know, that diamond in a rough that may, you know, may have a few years experience in the roofing or the siding or window stuff. The problem is they're coming to my team, they're bringing bad habits or they're leaving another company because, you know, it wasn't uh, the grass is greener. They get here, they don't really ex- understand our expectations full and foremost, and now the grass is greener someone else, somewhere else. Dollar hoppers. Yeah, you know, so that's kind of what we're seeing. But for me, you know, if I'm getting great service from a waiter at a, you know, at a restaurant and they're just, they're on the spot, they're friendly, they're personable, they're upselling me at the restaurant, they're going to get a business card and a job opportunity. You know, when we bring someone in, that's really what it is, is I'm looking for someone who's got that fire inside that you can't teach because I can teach everything else. You know, if you've got that fire and desire to be better, do more, have more, then I can put you in a commission sales position and teach you how to do that. But if you don't have that fire, you don't have the drive to, to go do it. I'm never going to teach that. So I, I agree. So of the, I think you, you said you have four recruits in training at the moment. No. So we've uh, we whittled down to two recruits that graduated from our training process. So we've got uh, two full-time, two that are just graduating. They're actually deploying to the field this week. They're doing some ride-alongs and going to be running their own first appointments, I think, uh, later today and tomorrow. So this is uh, you know, this is going to be the where the rubber meets the road for these guys. So of the four, how many of them came through like a job listing type of thing versus, you know, recruiting the waiter? So these guys, they I think both of these ones, we found them through Indeed or through our online job posting. You know, we, uh, we have a careers page on our website. We'll go ahead and tell our webmaster to, you know, here's the job posting we want to list on there. And we'll take that link and share it everywhere, whether it's LinkedIn or Facebook or, you know, just wherever we can. And so these two specifically that are here, I can't remember exactly where they came from, but we did interview quite a few people. They came in, they had the right mindset. They had the right drive. You know, one of them is a 20 year old guy, can't even drink yet. But, you know, his, his stuff to me is listen, I want to have more than my friends have. I don't want to be a scrub like they are. And I was like, well, okay, if you, can, if you can put the hours in, you can put the stuff together and you can give me your, uh, your desire, right? I'll teach you how to be better than them. And so that's, uh, that's kind of the attitude and, and how we're doing it. How long have they been in training now? So the two that are about to be kind of sent out on the, sent out on the road, so to say, how much training did you give them before they're allowed to actually go out and sell to customers and meet with customers one-on-one? It's three weeks of, you know, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. every day. Uh, that's kind of what it is right there. You know, it starts out with, you know, day one is, you know, paperwork and welcome to the team and here's expectations. And are you really going to commit to this? Because if not, we're going to kick you out the door. <laughs> And then day two rolls in the next and the next and next. And what does their compensation package look like? So we pay a split, you know, kind of salary plus commission. Uh, right now we've got them on a $30,000 a year salary, as well as an 18% of gross profit, uh, you know, commission. After three months of time with us, they actually have the ability to go commission only. We drop the salary up that, you know, gross profit sharing up to 25%, which is going to give them more money in the long run when they sell jobs. But for me, I don't want to bring someone on and have them, you know, starving or being, you know, kind of trapped for cash while we're getting that pipeline filled up and getting them trained and getting them going. So you're, you're doing, you're paying a compensation or a commission based on gross profit. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So let me kind of backtrack here a little bit, going back to kind of the whole training program. What, what would you say are kind of like the major pillars, you know, of this training program, three weeks, uh, what do you do? Because I have a feeling that you're not just dropping them out there, you know, and saying, all right, go shadow this guy. And in three weeks, we're going to let you go. 
Yeah, no. So basically, yeah, what we've done is, you know, just to make it easy for everyone out there, uh, take a, a regular spreadsheet. And what we've done is we've, you know, created training day number one, and we put down, you know, everything's there, T2, T3, all the way through, you know, T15. So that's three weeks, five days a week of training. The first few days are simply going to be company culture. How do we do what we do? Who does what? Who to go to for help and, and questions and answers, making sure they understand that kind of stuff. And then once we get past the culture part of it, then we're going to be into the, the sales presentation specifically, you know, here's how we, you know, here's how we deliver this part of our presentation. Here's how we deliver this. And then we'll get into creating our, uh, our estimates and here's how, you know, we, we go into our CRM and do our CRM. So it is very methodical and it's laid out to allow someone that's, you know, never jumped onto our CRM to be able to, at the end of this, you know, at the end of week two to go in and take, like say an Eagle view report or uh, you know, an E360 report and be able to kind of plug it in so they can generate a price within 15, 20 minutes of being on a customer's uh, you know, property. And then they can focus on the presentation and on the sale and on closing it. I don't really get myself wrapped around the axle about, you know, do they know the, the fine details of, you know, of how a roof is installed? We're going to overview that during this training. And this is going to be something they learn as we go on. When you go get a sale, you bring it back to me. Now we're going to sit down and we're going to have a 20, 30 minute training session about this specific job what this specific job needs, and you're going to retain that. And the next time it's going to be, you know, easier and easier and easier. I see. So on the uh, estimate and CRM and presentation side, well, what CRM are you guys using? And then number two, let's talk about your presentation. Sounds like you guys are not doing storm restoration type of stuff, at least not predominantly based on kind of what I gathered there. So, you know, you've got Ms. Jones calling you up because she needs either siding or a new roof. We'll talk a little bit about that presentation and what you're doing to kind of, I'm guessing you're doing some price conditioning in there before discovery or discovery and price conditioning kind of at the same time. And then, you know, a presentation on the price and then overcoming barriers. But what, yeah, what CRM and estimating system are you using? And then, you know, tell us some more about your presentation there. Yeah. So for us, uh, back in 2014, we, uh, we went from kind of, you know, just doing uh, Excel spreadsheets and, and, you know, Word documents for our estimating contracts. And we shifted over to uh, Aculinx as our CRM. For a company like ours, uh, you know, it, uh, it really does everything that we need to. It, it allow us to, you know, track every lead that comes in kind of as it moves through the process from a lead to a prospect, to a sale, to being closed, to being invoiced, to being, you know, done. It allows us to track all that communication back and forth, e-signature of documentation and the reporting feature. As long as we're putting in the proper data, it gives me the ability to go in and just kind of manipulate it and see my business in a ton of different ways and make great decisions. So Aculinx for me has been a big, big help. I mean, I've looked at a couple like Improve It 360 or some other ones that are out there. But for us, you know, if the wheel's not broken, don't fix it. It sounds like a pretty robust system. What, what are you roughly spending a month on that? So for us, it's about uh, about $100 per month per user. That's where it starts at. And then we get a discount as it goes in. You know, as we get past four users, it's, you know, 90 bucks a user. And then after that, it's 89. So for us, we're spending about, uh, about $1,200 a month for this stuff. But in the grand scheme of things, it's an investment in our ability to grow. I could not function and run this business the same way on, you know, free or cheap software. The way the software is, you know, designed and, and helped me grow my business is one of the reasons why I can afford to use the software. Yeah, you do have to have the right software behind any business. And I know there's some out there. There's Jobber, KickServe. That's the one I use. What else is out there? There's Jobber, KickServe, House Call Pro, ServiceMate. Those are all kind of general and they all kind of top out around 300 a month for unlimited users. But what you're 
telling me here, and I just kind of pulled up the Oculink website, is it seems like this is very roofer and kind of exterior contractor specific and has a lot more functionality that these kind of, I guess, off the shelf types of CRMs don't have. And I can certainly see how that's worth paying for. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when I was looking at making the change from, you know, kind of our in-house style to, you know, a system, I was looking at subscription services. I was looking at, you know, CRM, you know, purchase all, all outright kind of deals. And, you know, there's lots of stuff out there and there's a lot of ones that are really designed for, you know, for service call type business or something that's more designed for HVAC or lawn service businesses. And then this Aculinks for me, it just seemed like it was built by roofers for roofers. And so, you know, it just made sense. And, you know, they've had some, you know, some changes some developments upgrades over the last few years and it just keeps getting better for us. So yeah, I, I really couldn't be happier. That's awesome. I'm going to have to check it out. Yeah. It's not, you know, for everyone, but uh, you know, if you're in the, uh, the exterior roofing siding window business, Aculinks might be a good option for you. And it starts out, you know, for a few users, not too expensive. And it gives you the ability to, to grow and integrate, you know, with, like I said, e-sign docs and, you know, integrate your QuickBooks so you, you know, have, don't have double data entry and you can import your measurements from, you know, EagleView or from a few different things. So in my opinion, it's good stuff. Yeah, good stuff. Good stuff on that. So let's go into your actual sales presentation here because most contractors don't have a presentation. And I say it's vital to have one. You've, you're obviously going to share that same opinion with me. Let's talk about... <laughs> Let's talk about what you do. I mean, so many people just go out there and say, all right, Ms. Jones, you know, what do you need done? Okay, blah, 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 scratch it on out, maybe put it into some kind of formal system and send it out. But there's no structured approach to that sales presentation. Let's hear what you got up your sleeve. So we kind of run a, a structured 10-step sales program. And, you know, it's something that I learned as I was coming up. You know, when I first got in this business back in 2004, that's when I entered, you know, as a roofing salesman, I didn't know anything about sales other than, you know, what I'd read from like Tom Hopkins or Tony Robbins or Sandler, you know, some of these guys that are out there. And so it took me, you know, my own development of how am I going to communicate my message to my customers so I can close half of my, you know, my prospects when I'm going out there. I don't want to go run 10 leads, close two sales, and then the rest of my time is wasted. I want to be, you know, successful more often than not. So I was able to develop, you know, the, the good warm up. For us, the warm up is simply getting to the customer, talking with them, and having that last as long as it needs to. So they stop seeing me as a salesperson and they see me as a person. And that's really what the warm up is. Do you do anything before you even show up on site to warm them up? You know, yeah. So part of our system, you know, if they, they call in, we're going to have, you know, we have a, a templated email that goes out to confirm the appointment. We do kind of, I, you know, we have to do a 24 hour call to make sure that they understand we're coming and, and what's going on. You know, and then for me as a salesman or I teach my guys, get to the neighborhood 15 minutes early, take a look and see is there swing sets in the yard? Is there playgrounds around? Is it a family neighborhood or an older neighborhood? Is there a church there? So that you can, when you're speaking with these folks at the warm up, you are more in tune with their neighborhood and not just, you know, kind of coming in with out of the can, you know, hey, I like your fishing boat stuff. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, a little bit of proper, you know, kind of, you know, investigation beforehand will, uh, you know, 10, 15 minutes of investigation will make you sound like an expert about their neighborhood. And then it'll just kind of give you another way to, to really bond with them and, and communicate with them. Awesome. So going on beyond that warm up, what comes up next? So after that, then we do a kind of, uh, you know, we transition into a, uh, a pre-inspection kind of questionnaire. We'll go through, you know, 15, 20 questions, kind of in a conversation format that really talks about the job. You know, what made you decide to, you know, to, to give us a call today? You know, how long is your problem going on? You know, under the needs analysis, basically. And then we'll actually get out and do a, a do an inspection. And this is the part that is really important is we're going to go out there. We're going to take pictures. We're going to take videos. We're going to do, we're going to do a lot of stuff we, as much as we can. So when we come back in from that inspection and we've measured and inspected and 
and you know, got our price together, when we sit back down with them, it's a lot of folks are like, you know, I just don't feel comfortable as a salesman, you know, saying, hey, let's sit down. I've got this presentation to show you. But in, in our situation, when we have a great, you know, kind of inspection video or a bunch of pictures to sit down, we sit down, we look at the computer screen, we can go through the video I took on their house showing them what's going on. We can squeen, you know, squeen through some pictures. And then when we're done with the inspection, they recognize they have a problem. They take ownership of it. Now they're interested and it's not awkward. I can simply change screens and now my presentation is on the screen. There's no like, hey, go sit down. I'm going to sell you something. It's let me talk to you about what I found on your house. Now you know what's going on in your house. Let's talk about how to solve it. And that's our transition in the presentation. Takes all the awkwardness right out of it. I like it. I like it. And you're doing that. Are you doing that in the same sit down with the inspection and then you know, presenting the issues right after the inspection? Or are you coming back a few days later to meet with the customer after the inspection? So when we meet with their house, we're the most important thing they have to take care of at that moment in time. If we try to come back, they're going to have something else more important that needs to be taken care of. So I want to go ahead and make my closing attempt on the first run. And if whether I walk with a, a contract or not, what I've done is I've set the bar high enough to where anybody who comes behind me they better, you know, they better have their freaking jumping shoes on or they're not going to get over that bar. And these customers are going to call me back and say, you know what? You impressed us so much. Let's get this going. So, you know, our actual presentation after the inspection, you know, kind of analysis with them is broken into three parts. We have, you know, the company story. And you talked earlier about, uh, you know, about folks that are out there doing the insurance restoration. We do, you know, 100, 150, you know, re-roofs because of insurance every year here, or we did last year anyway. And so that does make a big portion of our business, but we're still going to give a company story presentation every single time. This is going to be, you know, the, the culture of who we are. What's my support staff look like? What kind of, you know, uh, stuff do we do around the community? What makes us industry experts, that kind of stuff. So I want to make sure that these folks know us as a company and whether we're going to do a, a retail presentation because they're paying for it out of pocket, or we're going to switch gears and talk about the insurance portion of it. It always starts with the inspection followed by the company story. Right on. I like it. So you got me at the table. I've seen the inspection. I know there's a problem. What's your go-to closing line? Maybe not closing line, but closing kind of verbiage or, you know, around the line. Gotcha. So, you know, we, we've done the inspection. We sat down, we've done a company presentation. You know, I went ahead and gone through the, the product demo with you of whatever is going to be that, uh, that solution. And then what we're going to do is I've got a pre-close and then I've got my closing question. So my pre-close is simply going to be, other than price or payment, is there any reason why you wouldn't decide to do business with me and my company? And at that point, what I'm fishing for is anything other than price, payment, or time. If it's price, payment, or time, I can deal with those and I can work with the customer to solve those issues. But I want to know if I haven't covered something is, you know, do they want to get other estimates? You know, well, they haven't seen my price yet. So, you know, how do you know you need to get another estimate? Is it because, you know, trust me as a company, how do I circle back and figure that out? Or, you know, whatever the, whatever the case may be, as long as it's something that is, you know, not price payment or time, then I can deal with it. If it's one of those things, then we go into kind of going over the, the scope of work and the, and the price. And from there, you know, I'm going to make a commitment statement to them saying, you know, listen, before this is right before I show them the, the price number. It's like, listen, you know, I'm going to do everything in my power to make sure that we don't allow, you know, the money or the payment or whatever you got going on in your life to get in the way of you getting this done. And so by me making that commitment statement, looking them dead in the eye, and I've been, you know, I've been helpful from the time I showed up until this time right here, what it allows me to do is once I do give them that price and I get that sticker shock of what's going on there, I can now work with them to reduce it with, you know, a cash discount or, 
you know, some referral discounts or trying to figure out some different type of payments because I promised them I'm going to help them. And now I don't feel like a sleazy guy who's just trying to weasel trying in to and get it done. Yeah, I'm fulfilling my commitment, my promise I made to him just before I gave him the number. So it's kind of like this. You go out to a customer's house, right? And there's something that's, uh, that may happen on the job, you know, and you don't tell them about it and it does happen. Now they're angry with you because it happened, right? But if you go out there and you say, hey, you know, Mr. and Mrs. Jones, you may have some nail pops on your house when we're doing your siding because I can't happen. And when that nail pop does happen, they're not mad at you because you told them, right? Absolutely. That's the same, same thing with this commitment statement. If you, you know, you go out there and you tell them, listen, I'm going to do everything in my power to help you, you know, get this done. And we're not going to let price or payment or time stand in the way of doing that. Now they don't feel like you're being pushy. They feel like you're simply because you told them you were going to help them. You're simply helping them. It's all about getting in their mind to make them think the right way. That works. That works. I like it, man. Same principle there as you know what what you said about you know pointing out the nails that are going to pop before you before you actually get to that issue before the issue comes up. Same principles at play there. All right. So just kind of going a little bit further in the sales process, there's a couple of things I want to touch on here uh, as we kind of before we wind this thing down. Number one. Are the salespeople doing any permitting or managing of the projects? Or are you doing a very firm handoff to project management, so to say, at the end of this? Yeah. So our salespeople, they are required to, to hand in a detailed labor order, a detailed material order, a detailed, you know, kind of profit analysis. But once they hand that off and it's clean, now I've got production, which, which handles, you know, ordering materials, grabbing permits, scheduling the job. So at this point, our sales staff is simply going to be the liaison you know, they're the, the face with the customer. If the customer has an issue, they call in and then that gets passed to production. But normally, you know, our production does such a good job of, you know, introducing themselves and taking the ball at that point that you know, our salesman can really focus on, you know, on servicing the next, you know, prospect and getting the next bit of revenue. As a salesman myself, you know, I tend to, to baby my customers, you know, I'll do whatever I can for them. But that's just me as a salesman back in the past. Now with what I've got here, I want to create my own vision through the entire company culture. So everyone understands that once they take the ball, it's their job to get it to the next, you know, the next, you know, goalpost or the next marker. So, yeah. Do you ever run into issues with any of the customers saying, well, you know, John told me this, you know, well, sales guy told me this. Do You ever run into that? Those documents that you have, the handover documents are incredibly crucial when you're, you know, operating in this kind of fashion. At my company, we keep it from the salesperson basically handles it all the way through permitting and engineering, but there's certainly nothing, I mean, nothing wrong. If anything, maybe it's better doing what you're doing. If you've got everything handled well and you've got those operation, the handover documents or operational documents, you know, down pat, which it sounds like you do, do you guys run into those issues and how do you combat that? So, you know, we, it's, you're never going to get out of it in, in the trades and anything that we do. Customers always going to have a perception of, you know, something that they thought was mentioned, or maybe a salesman did say they were going to do something. You know, and the challenge we're having right now is as we send our production staff to go do a final inspection, final walk around with the customer, you know, if it's not the salesman they were talking to, they may feel like they can pull a pass, you know, fast one saying, oh, I was talking with Johnny and and Johnny said they would do this. And then the the production, you know, inspectors, they're going, oh, well, what do I do? Do I say, oh, no, you're full of BS? It's a tricky place to be in. Yeah. So the way we're actually going to combat that is uh, we're going to re- redo our documents. And just like if, you know, you go on to a, uh, you know, to use a service or, a, or an online program, you have to read the end user license agreement and then you have to click, I agree. For us, you know, we're going to go in and basically, you know, we have a, a line item that says, you know, make sure everything you want is in writing, no verbal agreements will be honored. And they have to click and, and, and initial that. And then a few ish, uh, of our additional terms and conditions, 
they have to, you know, be able to click, yes, I read it. Yes, I agree to it. So instead of just having a customer, you know, go in and, you know, sign on the bottom line underneath the, the money line, we've got some other areas that are going to say, listen, you know, you had every opportunity to read this. This is our policy and this is what's going on. So it's going to help me kind of come back and, and have the moral high ground to say, listen, you know, it wasn't on here. It should have been. And if it's agrarious, you know, if it's, if it's something where I feel the customer is going to, you know, again, go do that online ranting and raving, I may invest in getting it taken care of and just make the customer happy. But most of the time, you know, when a customer completely understands that, yeah, all right, yeah, I'm just trying to pull a fast one, they'll back off when we've got the proper documentation. So again, we're never getting rid of it. It's always going to happen. We just have to try to find ways to combat it. Yeah, you just have to combat it, budget a little bit for it, you know, to kind of factor that stuff into your budget and pay it out of pocket just to kind of make the customers happy and earn those five-star reviews. One of those things, you know, just kind of have to adapt to it in the industry. Now you've got four, your four main services there, roofing, windows and doors, gutters and siding. Are you doing any cross-selling? You know, somebody comes in and buys a roof. Hey, six months later, we're going to sell them. I'm guessing you're selling gutters with the roofs. That would be, that would seem logical. You know, but they got the roof and the gutters now six months later, we're going to start marketing to, the, marketing to them for vinyl siding or I'm sorry, I forget what other type of siding you was. I, I know exactly what you're talking about there, Corey. And now while we do have, you know, kind of uh, ongoing, you know, touch points with our, uh, with our customer base by way of email or text, you know, on kind of a, an automatic run, we haven't actually broken that out yet. And so as we're growing our sales team, you know, if I don't have the phones ringing, leads coming in to set them on, they're either going to be calling back, you know, our previous customers to, you know, do the did you know, did you know we also do this and, and make sure we're touching base on those as well as getting out and doing some direct marketing themselves. So as of right now, it's, uh, it isn't something we have been doing, uh, you know, on a regular basis, but it is part of my next uh, phase of growth and my next plan to capitalize on what we have. There is nothing easier than selling a customer who's already happy with the work you've done once. It's just got to be at the right time when they're ready to look at that other offering. And so, you know, we're going to, we're going to start capitalizing on that. I agree. I agree there. And I'll just kind of add this from my own experience. I know what you're talking about. It's incredibly difficult to actually start segmenting people out from your customer list and sending those specific kind of targeted ads like, Hey, this is going out to everybody that got a roof in the last three to four months. And we're going to send them this. It, It can get tedious, really breaking that all out. It's really difficult to do because every project is so unique. None of these CRMs, I don't think Aculinks does either because I've certainly looked for all the ones that do integrate well with the mail programs. It's a, it's a tricky thing to do there, but it's certainly valuable for growth. What does your post-project completion kind of touch points look like? Are you guys sending out weekly emails, daily emails? You mentioned text messages. Tell me some more stuff about that because we don't do any text messaging, at least in my company. And that's something that I've had on my horizon, but there's so much other stuff that needs to be addressed before I actually get to the text messaging. Talk to us about that. Yeah. So, I mean, there's quite a few different services that you have, you know, whether it's MailChimp or, you know, a few different ones. The, the service we use is called Signpost. And so Signpost, it, uh, it's a really great service, allows us to, you know, to do both the email and the, and the text marketing that's out there. For the email stuff, we're going to have a newsletter blast that goes out to our subscribed, uh, you know, members once a month. We're not going to, we're not crowding their inbox. And then we may have, you know, a midpoint, uh, you know, kind of blast that goes out if we're running a, uh, you know, a seasonal special or we have, you know, a weather event that comes up that we want to kind of touch base on. As far as the text messaging, the text messaging is really going to be on, you know, special discounts or coupons or things of that nature. You know, hey, you know, get, uh, get an extra 5% off a window project, click here. And, you know, it's a couple of lines of text with a little click link. And it allows them to get some, some stuff. So it's really just followed by the action statement. For our customer base to, to make sure that we stay on top of them, we're going to be, you know, once the job is done, it's paid in full, 
at six months and at 12 months, they're going to be getting a kind of a, a referral and, you know, kind of a, a reminder saying, hey, if you haven't yet given us a, a positive review on Google or Facebook or, you know, or, or Yelp or something, please do so. And also, hey, think about that neighbor, friend or coworker that needs something. And then at 12 months, we're going to start off, hey, it's been a year since your project is complete. We'd like to set up at a time to, uh, to have one of our guys swing by and just take a look at it. Oh, by the way, if you haven't, please, you know, recommend this and, you know, give us a referral. So I like that. I like the one year swing by. That's a powerful touch point right there. Nobody's doing that stuff. No, I mean, it takes obviously time, money and effort. But when you have your, uh, you have your, you know, service tech that's going out to do, you know, your warranty calls, this guy can also be the one that goes out and catch a problem before it's uh, shown. Or just knock on the door and either, you know, say, hey, you know, since last time you guys were out here, my windows have gone crazy. I just haven't had time to get for it. And then he'll set an appointment with the salesman to go back, you know, and talk about those windows or, you know, talk about the gutters that uh, just absolutely look terrible with the brand new roof up there or something. So, you know, it's just a way again to to try to stay back in. Right on. So we got to start winding down here in a few minutes. But one thing I want to talk about, and I mean, we can certainly talk about these emails and stuff forever and, you know, referral programs and all that. What does your email look like? Because I know a lot of contractors want to do some type of email newsletter and they might send out one, but then they go to, you know, open up a program to make it the next month or next week or however frequently they're trying to do it. And they look at it and they're like, well, I don't know what to say. What are you guys including in your, your newsletters? So our newsletters are going to, you know, we use Surefire Social, you know, for our, our actual website, you know, build and part of our package is they're going to create, you know, some, you know, weekly or not weekly, but monthly kind of blog posts. So what we'll do is when we create our newsletter email, we are going to keep it simple. It's going to be four bullet point sentences. And because attention spans are next to nothing. If I see an email and I open it up and it's like a novel, it's right in the trash. I ain't looking at that thing. But if I've got, if I don't have time to kind of really quick glance at four bullet point sentences and see, does this make sense? Do I want to investigate more? Then that's what attention spans have done. And then we're going to have a link to a, uh, to an article that, you know, that we're referencing out there. So that's really what the newsletter is. Logo, catchy image for the season or for the, the, you know, for the, what the, it is, you know, it's just a stock image or, you know, a picture of a house or picture of someone on the team, four sentences, and then a link to the actual, you know, kind of a big text thing. And that's our, that's our newsletter. So they make the email. Do they make the article as well? No. So we use signpost to send the email and link to it, but uh, Surefire Social, our, our web provider, they do write, uh, you know, we pay for them to write the article. So every month they're writing an article. They write the article and then you handle the email? That's exactly right. So, I mean, if you ever go to orionhi.com, you can take a look at our blog and you can see, you know, every month we've got a different subject, whether it's, you know, insulated siding or how colors for the outside of your house or how to protect for the spring or something. So they're writing these things for us to get, you know, more of that, uh, that the web presence and, you know, traction. And we just, uh, that as the, uh, as the feeder for our stuff, you know, it, this didn't happen overnight. This was, you know, years in the making of developing what we've got here. So if you're a brand new company starting out, I don't expect you to go implement all this stuff, but if you're trying to figure out ways to, you know, touch your customers more often, you know, start with your web service company writing a blog for you and then you sending an email with a link to it to your customer base. And that's one way to kind of get back in front of them. I'll second that. It works. And just real quick for those interested, what does that roughly run you for the Surefire? So the service that we have is about 2000 a month and we just upgraded from a previous version. So I just get more web time, more, you know, SEO development and, and some backend stuff. But really you should be looking, you know, if you can get a web service uh, right around seven to $800 a month, that should be able to, you know, kind of maintain your site, do some, you know, minimum, you know, SEO work, and then do a little bit of blog writing for you. You know, it's, it shouldn't be that difficult. 
And there's lots of, you know, different you know, articles out there. All right, Jay. Well, it's time for us to wrap this stuff up. Why don't you tell our listeners out there how they can reach out to you if they want to get in touch with you, have any questions for you? Absolutely. If you want to reach us, you know, it's just a real simple info, I-N-F-O at OrionHI.com. If you want to check out our website, again, same thing, www.orion, like the constellation, HI.com. Always available. You send me a message. I'll read it. I'll respond to it. If you've got some legitimate questions about how to make your business better, I'm a rising tide lifts all boats kind of guy. There's nothing I'm going to keep as a secret. I'm not going to try to do you dirty. If you've got a legitimate question, I want to see you succeed. Right on, right on, man. So thanks for sharing that stuff. Thanks for joining me on the show today, Jay. Glad to be here and thank you for the time, Corey. You've reached the end of another episode of the Home Pro Success Podcast. Connect with us and join our collaborative Facebook group at homeprosuccess.com.